0: Hello and welcome to the Beach House 34 True Crime and Paranormal Podcast. We are continuing on day six of the Darley Routier trial, and we are continuing with the testimony of Officer David Main. He was the one who took a lot of the photographs inside and collected a lot of the evidence the night of the crime. Now, normally at this point, this is where I would reiterate um, information that was said in the prior episode, But if you listen to the prior episode, you know that a vast majority of that was just dealing with all of this evidence that was brought in by the state, by the prosecution, and to get it admitted. And there was a lot of arguments um, back and forth as to whether or not it should be included, should not be included. So the prior um, episode, that would be episode number 65, dealt with a lot of that evidence um it was all discussed outside the presence of the jury and there was maybe a few moments in there where they did question officer main because he did remain on the stand even though the jury had left the room and they did ask him a couple of questions but. 90% of episode 65 is just dealing with all of this information or all of these exhibits that they wanted to admit. And many of these exhibits were just documents that were located in the Routier home in the den where the children were found on top of a green and blue or greenish blue box, which officer David Main had indicated was a sewing box. So anyway, we are now back in the courtroom. All of the jury has been seated. The court, everybody is ready to go. And the next hour of David Maines, Officer David Maines' testimony begins. And the questioning is continued by the prosecution, Mr. Greg Davis. Officer Maine, let me show you first. Let's just go back a moment, uh, if you would. Please look at State's Exhibit 62. 60- Dash -A and 60-B. Do you recognize those photographs, sir? Yes, sir. Are they photographs of state's exhibit 60? Yes, they are. And do they truly and accurately depict the condition of the sock at the time that you picked it up on June 6th, 1996? Yes, sir. All right. And very quickly here, Officer Maine, if we look at state's exhibit 60-B, can you point out what appeared to be a blood stain that day? Right here, at the top portion where my finger is. Yes, sir. Okay. And state's exhibit 60-A. Do there appear to be some holes down there at the end of the sock? There. Yes, sir. Okay. Right here where I'm pointing. Yes, sir. Were those holes present when you picked up the sock? Yes, sir. Now, let me ask you, Officer Maine, if you found any property in the entryway of the house that you recovered? Yes, sir, I did. What did you recover there? A pair of tennis shoes. Okay. Sir, if you'll look at State's Exhibits 71 C, do you recognize that photograph? Yes, sir, I do. Does that show the shoes that you recovered in the entryway of the house? Yes, sir, it does. Does it truly and accurately reflect their condition and location at the time that you first saw them on June the 6th, 1996? Yes, sir. Officer Maine, I am now pointing to the shoes there in the photograph. Yes, sir. Exactly where were they located in the entryway? It was right beside the trunk area and the door exiting the house. Okay and when you first saw the shoes did you look to see whether you could see any blood on the shoes yes sir did there appear to be blood on the shoes yes sir all right officer if you would please look at what's been marked states exhibit 71-a and 71-b and tell me whether or not these are the shoes that you recovered in the entryway of 5801 eagle drive yes sir it is and looking at state's exhibit 71 A and 71 B, are these the shoes that you thought you saw blood on that morning? Yes, sir. Did you do anything at that time to test the blood on the shoes? No, sir, I did not. Not on the shoes. You just put them into evidence? Yes, sir. All right. Officer Maine. If you would please look at what's been marked as state's exhibit number 39 and tell me whether or not you can identify that. Yes, sir, I do. Okay, what is state's exhibit number 39? That's the small black cap that was found in the utility room on the floor. Okay, would it be fair to say that at this point it has holes in the top of it? Yes, sir were those holes present when you saw it on June 6th? No, sir. Okay. Was this item also later placed into evidence for analysis by someone else? Yes, sir. But this is in fact the cap. Is it right? That's correct. Mr. Greg Davis then says, uh, your honor, at this time, we'll offer state's exhibit number 39. And then Mr. Richard Mosty of the defense says, may I take the witness on Vordeer dire uh, very briefly? The court says you may. So then he begins his Vordeer dire uh, examination. Mr. Mosty asks him, did you take exhibit 39 into evidence? No, sir. When was it taken into evidence? Some days later. But you don't know? I'm not for sure of the date. No, sir. How do you know that's the same hat? Did you place any identifying marks on it of your own? No, sir. How do you know it's the same hat? Talking with the investigators and officers. Of your knowledge, how do you know it's the same hat? It looks like the hat from the pictures. Okay, Mr. Mosty then says, uh, no objection. The court then says, all right, uh, states exhibit 39 is admitted. At which point, Mr. Greg Davis begins his direct examination. Officer Main, now I want to take you back to the vacuum cleaner in the kitchen. And before lunch, is it true that we, you were testifying about where that vacuum cleaner was positioned, is that correct? Yes, sir. Let me ask you whether or not you took any photographs of the vacuum on the floor, prior to the time that you lifted it up off the floor? Yes, sir. Did you also take photographs of that area where the vacuum cleaner had been after you lifted it up off the floor? Yes, sir, I did. Okay. Officer Main, if you would, if you'll look at what's been marked as State's Exhibit 43-A and 43-B, does 43-A truly and accurately depict the vacuum cleaner as it appeared while it was still on the floor there in the kitchen? Yes, sir. And as 43-B, does that truly and accurately depict the portion of the kitchen floor, where the vacuum cleaner had been after you lifted it up on June 6, 1996? Yes, sir. Your Honor, may the witness please step down for a moment. The court then says you may. Mr. Greg Davis then continues, Officer Main, let me now ask you to, again, stand to the side here so all of the jurors can see. States Exhibit 43-A, what do we see in that photograph, sir? We see the vacuum cleaner lying on the linoleum floor and blood around. You see a small piece of glass right here, okay? What is this object that I am pointing to on the right side? A trash can, okay? This rectangular shaped object here in the left-hand portion is the carpet. Okay, and the sink would be located where in relationship to 43-A? It would be right up here, okay? And again, 43-A is taken on June 6th before you moved the vacuum. Is that correct? That's correct. States Exhibit 43-B. What does States Exhibit number 43-B show? It's the area where the vacuum cleaner was lying. Up here, you can see the trash can. In this area here, you can see the rug area and also the glass. Okay, just as a reference point, let me, do you see the objects that I'm pointing to in States Exhibit 43-B? Yes, sir. What is that object? It's a piece of broken glass. Okay, and I am pointing to an object down here in States Exhibit 43-A, and I'll ask you whether or not that's the same object as shown in States Exhibit 43-B. Yes, sir. Now, the two objects that we have drawn the lines to here, can you tell me what they appeared to be when you lifted the vacuum cleaner off the floor? Blood footprints. Did you find anything else underneath the vacuum cleaner besides the bloody footprints? Any other glass? Yes, sir. Can you point for the members of the jury where you may have found some other glass? Right up here and up here. Okay. Were these two bloody footprints shown in States Exhibit 43-B, were they visible to you before you moved the vacuum cleaner? No, sir. And again, just so we can get a direction here, looking at States Exhibit 43-B, where would the sink be in relationship to the bloody footprints? Right in here. Would the footprints then be leading away from the sink or towards the sink? Away from the sink. Uh, Thank you. Whereupon the witness then resumed, the witness stand and questioning was continued. Officer Maine, when you picked up, when you picked the vacuum up, where did you place it? I placed it beside the wine rack, the wine rack and the closet area. At any time on June the 6th, 1996, did you ever move the vacuum cleaner back over to where it had been near the sink? No, sir. Okay. Just one other question here. As we look at States Exhibit 43-B, do you see the object on the left-hand side of that photograph? Yes, sir. Let me ask you whether or not that was this particular area that I'm pointing to. Was that visible to you before you moved the vacuum cleaner? Yes, sir. Officer Maine, let me ask you whether or not you ever collected any evidence out of the garage itself. No, sir. Did you ever take possession of a window screen from the garage area? Yes, sir. I did take the screen off the window. Okay. And if you would briefly tell us what was the condition of the screen at the time that you retrieved it from the window. It was cut in a T-shaped pattern. Okay. And how did you remove the screen? The screen was removed by another officer and handed to me. Was that done on June the 6th? That's correct all right. Sir, if you would please look at the object that's been marked as State's Exhibit number 42-A. Do you recognize that? Yes, sir. Is this in fact a screen, the window screen that you retrieved from the window on June 6th, 1996? Yes, sir. Is it still in the same condition as when you first retrieved it on June the 6th? It appears so, yes. The cuts that we see in the screen today Were they present on June the 6th, 1996? Yes, sir. Okay, and you had indicated a T cut. By that, what do you mean? I mean, it goes straight across and then down the bottom. Okay, when you retrieved the screen, do you remember how the screen was folded? Was it folded inward toward the garage or was it folded outward toward the patio? Do you recall? Inward toward the garage. Okay. The frame on the bottom portion, does it appear today to have been bent in some fashion? Yes, sir. Was it in that same condition when you picked it up on June the 6th? Yes, sir. Let me ask you also, Officer Main, did you ever retrieve any evidence from upstairs in the residence? Yes, sir, I did. Okay. And specifically, did you go into the bedroom with the bunk beds? Yes, sir. All right. Officer Maine, let me ask you to look at States Exhibit 70. Do you recognize that, sir? Yes, sir. Okay. Is this the comforter that you retrieved from the bedroom on June 6, 1996? Yes, sir, it is. Okay. At the time, did it have any holes or defects in it? No, sir. Okay. Did you do anything to analyze this thing for blood or other evidence? No, sir. Did you place it into evidence for further analysis by someone else? Yes, sir, I did. Officer, when you looked at the comforter, States Exhibit 70, did you try to determine whether or not you could see any blood on that? It appeared to have some type of blood stain on the comforter. Okay. Is that why you took it into evidence? Yes, sir. Okay. In addition to the items that you have identified here today during your testimony, did you retrieve additional items from the family room there at 5801 Eagle Drive? Yes, sir. Officer Maine, let me show you what's been marked as State's Exhibit 150. Do you recognize that photograph, sir? Yes, sir. Is that a photograph that you took in the family room on June 6, 1996? Yes, sir. Does it show certain items in this photograph that you retrieved? Yes, sir. Does it show them in the position that they were in when you first retrieved them? Yes, sir. Officer Main, as I'm showing this to the jury, can you just describe what part of the family room that we're looking at here? This is the area beside the couch and between the couch and the TV and a lamp. And in the middle portion, are there certain papers? Yes, sir. Are you familiar with where the body of Devin Routier was found? Yes, sir. How far away from the body of Devon Routier were those papers? Approximately two feet. Were there a number of papers that you retrieved from that location? Yes, sir. Okay. Let me show you first four pieces of paper. These have been marked as State's Exhibit 77-C, D, E, and F. Do you recognize these four pieces of paper to be papers that were gathered from that location in the family room, sir? Yes, sir. Mr. Greg Davis says, Your Honor at this time will offer States Exhibit 77-CDE&F. And, and Mr. John Hagler then says, Same objection as previously stated. And the court then says, Thank you, States exhibit, Exhibits 77-DEC&F are admitted. Let me just ask you, officer, if these appear to be renewal agreements from an insurance company, yes, sir, what insurance company would that be? Combined Insurance Company. Okay, of America? Of America. Okay. And does it show an insured on 77-C? Yes, sir. And who is that? Darren Routier. And on 77-D, is Darley Routier the insured? Yes, sir. And on 77-E, is Devin R. Routier the insured? Yes, sir. And on 77-F, is Damon C. Routier the insured? Yes, sir let me show you what's been marked as States Exhibit 76. Do you recognize that, sir? Yes, sir. Now, is this a marriage license? Is this one of those pieces of paper that you retrieved from the that location of the family room? Yes, sir, it is. Does it appear to be a marriage license between Darlie Lynn Peck and Darren Eugene Routier? Yes, sir. Mr. Greg Davis says, all right, Your Honor. At this time, we'll offer States Exhibit 76. Mr. Don Hagler says, same objection, Your Honor. And then the questioning continues. Again, this appears to be a marriage license of Darlie Lynn Peck and Darren E. Routier. Is that correct? Yes, sir. These papers that I'm showing you, officer, were they found in any sort of container or where exactly were they? They were in green folders laying on top of a plastic canister tub. And did you ever determine if there was anything inside that tub? Yes, sir. Any other papers inside that tub? No, sir. What was inside the tub? Like sewing equipment? All right, I'm going to show you what's been marked as States Exhibit 74-A and 74-B. Do you recognize those to be two of the papers that you retrieved from that location in the family room? Yes, sir, it is. Officer, do these appear to be Social Security cards, 74-A being for Devin Rush Routier? Yes, sir. And does 74-B appear to be a Social Security card for Damon Christian Routier? Yes, sir. Let me show you States Exhibit 75. Do you recognize this also to be one of the papers that you retrieved from that location of the family room? Yes, sir. Again, officer, does this appear to be a certificate of birth from the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania for an individual named Darley Lynn Peck? Is that correct? Yes, sir. Okay. Officer, if you will please look at States Exhibit 73-A and 73-B. Are those two of the papers that you retrieved from that location in the family room on June 6th? Yes, sir. Just looking here, does 73-A appear to be a birth certificate for a Devon Rush Routier and does 73-B appear to be a birth certificate for Damon Christian Routier? Yes, sir. Okay. Officer, looking at States Exhibit 72-A and B, Are these also two pieces of paper that you retrieved from the family room that morning? Yes, sir. Officer, again, does 72-A appear to be a certified copy of the birth certificate for a Devon Rush Routier? Yes, sir. Okay, does 72-B appear to be a certified copy of the birth certificate for Damon Christian Routier? Yes, sir. Officer, let me show you what's been marked as States Exhibit 74-C and 74-D, do you recognize those to also be papers that you retrieved from the family room? Yes, sir. All right, officer, looking at States Exhibit 74-C, does it appear to be the immunization record for Devon Routier? Yes, sir. States Exhibit 74-D, does this appear to be the immunization record for Damon Routier? Yes, sir. Okay, officer, let me show you what's been marked as States Exhibit number 82-A. Do you recognize that, sir? Yes, sir. Is this also one of the pieces of paper that you retrieved from the den that morning? Yes, sir. Officer, did you ever look at the hands here to compare the size of them to the handprint that you found on the carpet? Visually, yes. What was the result of that? It appears they were approximately the same size. Okay, officer, let me show you what's been marked as States Exhibit 77-G a folder with several pieces of paper inside. Were these papers also found by you in the family room on June 6th? Yes, sir. Does this appear to be a brochure from the A.L. Williams Company concerning insurance? Yes, sir. Officer, looking at States Exhibit number 77A and 77B, were these papers found by you in the family room on June 6th? Yes, sir. Officer, would you please look at the notebook that I have marked as State's Exhibit 78? Do you recognize that, sir? Yes, sir. Did you find that notebook in the family room on June the 6th? Yes, sir. Officer, if you would please look at the piece of paper that I'm holding, State's Exhibit 80, I'll ask you whether or not you found this piece of paper in the family room on that date also on June 6th. Yes, sir as well as did you find States Exhibit 79-A, 79-B, and the notepad identified as States Exhibit 79-C. Did you find all four of these documents in the family room on June 6th, sir? Yes, sir. All right, Officer Main, if you could just step down briefly and just point on the diagram of the family room exactly where you found the documents that we've just offered into evidence sir whereupon the witness then steps down and approaches the jury rail. And the court then says, before, let me make this statement to the jury. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, States Exhibit 77-D, E, C, and F, and States Exhibit 76 and 74-A and B, 75, 73-A and B, 72-A and B, 74-C and D, 82-A, 77-G, 77-A, and B, 78, 80, and 79-A, B, and C were admitted because they were found at the scene and for no other reason. And if necessary, a limiting instruction will be given to you in the charge of the court, if that is appropriate at the time that I give my charge of the court. Mr. Greg Davis then says, Officer, if you could hold that end if possible, just point out for us where you found these documents. Right here. Okay. And I'm pointing here at State's, States Exhibit 11-B. Am I pointing at the location in that room where you found them? And that's correct. Okay. If you'll step around so all those jurors can see you. Okay. You found all the papers in that one location. Yes, sir. Okay. Mr. Greg Davis then says, Your Honor, I would like permission to publish certain documents to the jury. And what we have done is we have made copies of the documents that I'll be publishing, a copy for each juror, as well as for counsel and the court. And the court then says you may do so, at which time folders are then passed out to the jury. Mr. Greg Davis then says, The first document that we'll be looking at is States Exhibit 77-B, And that should be the first document in your folder there. And I draw your attention to the first page, which shows that that document is an insurance policy issued by the Massachusetts General Life Insurance Company of Boston, Massachusetts. And if you will look at the second page, you will see that the insured is Darley Routier. You will also see under the monthly cost of the insurance schedule that the flexible premium adjusted for life insurance for the insured is $100,000. You'll also notice on the second line, CR-86, children's insurance initial specified amount is $5,000 with premium due on that. Now, if you will look at the second document in the notebook, you'll see that's States Exhibit 78. And you'll see the first page is actually the outside cover of the notebook that I'm holding here. And if you'll turn to the next page, you'll see the page that's actually shown about four or five pages deep into the notebook here that I'm holding. And you'll see here that A.L. Williams, Darren, $350,000, Darley, 50, Combined Insurance Company, their address, telephone number, Massachusetts General Life, Agent John B. Tanner, his telephone, Darren, 350000 Darley, 100000 Also says, if death occurs by plane, American Express will also pay for us. And if you'll turn to the next page, you'll see there a notation, quote, Guardianships Cyrilda and Lenny Routier. Joint custody, Darley Key, parentheses, mock. Executor of will, Darley Key, house to be sold by Mary K. Molby. And then there's a phone number and any profit to be put in trust fund for Devin, Damon, and Drake until age 21. All items in safety deposit box will remain in place until Devon, Damon, and Drake reach age 21. Darley Key will have access to this box until the boys reach 21. And if you'll turn the page, you'll see it's entitled, quote, funeral arrangements. Funeral to be paid for from insurance money. Arrangements to be made by Darley Key, and Cyrilda Routier. And if you'll turn the page one more time, you'll see the last page in that exhibit, quote, money from insurance, money remaining after funeral arrangement is to be divided into three trust funds for Devin, Damon, and Drake. And those are pages out of State's Exhibit 78, The Notebook. And if you'll look at the next exhibit, that will be State's Exhibit 79-A, a cover sheet and if you'll flip over you'll see a page that's entitled quote house is to be sold by and what you're looking at there is actually the yellow the loose yellow notepad here with the brewer printing company and the water tower on it that says quote houses to be sold by mary k mulby and there's a phone number and then money to be put in trust for devon and damon until age 21 79-B, what you're looking at there is actually the loose green notepad page, again, Brewer Printing Company and the Water Tower. The front page will be guardianship, Cyrilda and Lenny Routier, joint custody, Darley Key Mock, executor of will, Darley Key, insurance money after funeral is paid, money and trust for Devin and Damon until age 25, prenup for marriage, money and trust. Trust is $25,000 each when they start college. If they don't, and you'll flip to the next page, what you'll see is what's on the back of the green pad. If they don't go to college, the money stays in trust until age 25. All items in safety deposit box to be kept in box until Devin and Damon reach age 21. Darley Key will have access to the box. An allowance will be taken out of the trust one once per year, in the amount of $10,000, to be used for Devon and Damon's living expenses, while in custody of Lenny and Cyrilda until Devon and Damon reach age 18. No exceptions. And if you go to the next page, this page is going, this page is going to begin with Mink coat. Does everybody see the page? Mink coat, Mink coat, Diamond Heart necklace? Leather furniture, formal dining table and chairs, leather furniture, Darley Key. All autographed pictures and remaining jewelry and guns go in the safety deposit box for Devin and Damon until age 25. Also, any remaining items in house to be sold by Darley Key and put in trust for D and D until age 21. 1986 XJ6 Jaguar Dion Routier and Stereo with big screen TV, Armani statues, two diamond and gold watches, Arenda Routier, 1987 30-foot boat, Lenny and Cyrilda Routier, also green marble, three-piece clock set, and large vase in entrance, three-piece bedroom suite, Barbara Jovell. If you'll turn it over, you'll see what is a pink page still on the pad, kitchen table, and chairs, entrance table, and green leather TV chairs, and two carat diamond rings, Tammy Jovel. All clothes and amethyst ring, Dana Stahl. All perfume bottles and emerald ring, Danielle Stahl. Everything in shop is to be sold by Darley Key. $10,000 each is to be given to Barbara and Tammy Jovel. 10000 is to be given to Darley Key. 10000 is to be given to Lenny and Sorilda Routier. Remaining money is to be divided among Dana Stahl. And if you'll turn, you'll see the beige-colored tab page here. Danielle Stahl, Arenda Routier, Dion Routier. All of the boys' items from house. To be taken with them to Lenny and Cyrilda Routier, including all pictures and any personal items that Devin and Damon want to have with them. The dog and two cats are to go with Dion, with Devin and Damon Routier, and are to be taken care of at the residence of Lenny and Cyrilda Routier. And that's the last page on the notepad that's actually written on. All right. And if you'll look at the next page in the packet there, you will see States Exhibit 80. The first of the back part where it's been marked here, States Exhibit number 80. And if you'll go to the last page there, the copies aren't real good, but you'll see the writing money from this policy is to be put into trust for Devin and Damon until age 21. It appears Darley Routier's signature and that of Darren Routier beneath that. Mr. Greg Davis then continues to question Officer David Main. Okay, and again, officer, the papers that we just read, were they also included in the bags that were out there in the open on top of that blue or green box? Yes, sir. Let me ask you, on June the 6th, 1996, did you collect any more evidence out there than what we have just seen? Yes, sir. Okay. Any other papers, for instance? No, sir. Okay. What other evidence did you retrieve out there on June 6th? Some marijuana. Mr. John Hegler then says, excuse me, Your Honor, may we approach the bench? The court then says, you may indeed. Mr. John Hagler then says, Your Honor, we need a hearing outside the presence of the jury. The court then says, Will the jury step into the jury room briefly, please? The court then says, Let the record reflect that these proceedings are being held outside the presence of the jury and all parties in the trial are present. You may proceed. Well, why don't we go through with this testimony first and then Mr. Hagler can make his objection. Go ahead, Mr. Davis. So Mr. Greg Davis then says, I have no further questions, Your Honor. The court then says, That's it. Mr. Greg Davis says, yes, sir. Court says, all right. Mr. Greg Davis says, concerning that date, I have some questions about June the 14th. The court then says, okay, you got anything else that might indicate anything, any extraneous offense or anything? Mr. Davis says, no, sir. Just for the record, I was not attempting to offer an extraneous offense. I'm very well aware of the court's order here in that regard and that the matters are to be taken up outside the presence of the jury. I expected the answer, quote, no, I didn't retrieve anything else because that's the only evidence. I'm looking at an outline here. That's the last piece of evidence that I've got on my outline here is the papers. Court then says, all right, I'll sustain the defense objection. And when the jury comes back, I'll instruct them not to consider that for any reason whatsoever. Mr. Douglas Mulder then says, Judge, that won't do us any good. This is a flagrant violation. We've been over this three or four times. It's not like this witness has not been prepared in this. This was a deliberate attempt on the part of the prosecution and the witness, I submit, to go into matters that the court ruled inadmissible. You can't cure this, and you shouldn't ask us to try to live with your ruling because it won't do us any good at this point. And then Mr. Mosty says, Your Honor, and I would point out that he was asked a question. Did you get anything else? The answer to that is a yes. And we've been through however many items of evidence here that he's talked about. And it just so happens that on this one, he adds, yes, marijuana immediately. This witness should, well, I can't imagine that someone wouldn't know better than to try to throw something out like that, has been covered time and time and time again in rulings by this court. Mr. Mulder then says, judge, they've even had a dress rehearsal on this and the witnesses have testified. If we can take this witness on vordier we'll establish how many times he's talked to the prosecution. But now you put us in a position of having to go into this matter and show the jury that it was, in fact, a very, very small quantity of marijuana. The jury doesn't know whether there were bales out there or whether there were pounds or just what. But now we're in the position, because of this deliberate misconduct, of having to clear this matter up before the jury and show them that it was that we're talking about grams, a few grams instead of ounces or pounds or whatever. The court then says, well, are you moving for a mistrial? Mr. Mulder says, yes, sir. The court then says, okay, motion for mistrial denied. I will so instruct the jury. Mr. Mosty says, you're not going to instruct them about a mistrial, are you? The court says, no, I'm going to tell the jury. I will caution the jury. I'll instruct the jury to not consider the last comment of the witness for any reason whatsoever. Mr. Mulder then says, well, judge, we're placed in a position of having to go into this. The court then says, I understand you've moved for mistrial. I have denied your motion for a mistrial. So if there's any error in my ruling, I think it's been adequately preserved. Mr. Mulder then says, Well, we've been. The court then says, All right, with that in mind, we will, I guess, have another 13 minutes of break. Mr. Mulder says, Would it be presumptuous of me to ask the court to admonish both the witness and the prosecution? The court then says, they are both so admonished. Mr. Mulder then says, well, could you do a little bit stronger, Judge, do you think? The court then says, well, I think they, I don't think Mr. Davis did this intentionally. Mr. Mulder then says, well, what sanctions do you intend to take against the witness? The court then says, I have taken all of the sanctions I intend to take right now. Thank you. All right. Mr. John Hagler says, your honor, for the purpose of the record, our objection is that this is an extraneous offences inadmissible under Rule 404B. The court then says, we understand that, and the jury is going to be instructed to disregard the comment of the witness. And you're instructed not to do that, anything like that again. The witness then says, yes, sir. Mr. Greg Davis says, yes, sir court then says, all right, Mr. Mosty says, and could he be admonished that that's even true on cross-examination when I cross-examine him? The court then says, yes, by all means, keep quiet about that. All right, I guess we're on break now until 20 minutes to three o'clock. So at this point, after they said, all right, I guess we're on break now until 20 minutes to three o'clock, then the court resumes the record and the court then says, and of course the jury is not there, all right. Let the record reflect that these proceedings are being held outside the presence of the jury and all parties in the trial are present. Mr. Davis, Mr. Shook, and Ms. Wallace, you're instructed to make sure that all of the witnesses are properly prepared and not to have a repetition of what just occurred. Is that clear? Mr. Greg then says, yes, sir. And I will state to the court that during the break that Ms. Wallace went back and talked to the Rowlett officers who are scheduled to testify later in this case. And we have reemphasized to them again that these matters are not to be gotten into during their testimony. The court then says, all right, thank you. All right, bring the jury in. Mr. Mulder then says, wait a minute, Your Honor, a couple of things. One, judge, if it please the court, what happens if they do? The court then says, well, We'll come to that. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Let's bring the jury in, please. Mr. Douglas Muller then says, and what second, what could the court please tell us? What instructions you intend to give the court, the jury? And the court then says, I intend to give the jury the following instruction, not to consider the last comment of the witness concerning marijuana found to be found at the scene for any purpose whatsoever. Please disregard it and then says, all right, let's bring the jury in. And Mr. Mosty again says, wait a minute, could we have a second to think about it? Mr. Mulder says, we may not want any instruction. I just may not want it re-emphasized. The court then says, well, I intend to do that, so I'm going to do it. Mr. Mulder then says, over our objection. The court then says, thank you. Mr. Douglas Mulder says, all right. The court says, all right. Ms. Sherry Wallace then says, wait, excuse me, are you all objecting to his limiting instruction? Mr. Mulder says, no, he's already ruled, and we aren't going to argue with him. The court then says, I'm going to give them a limiting instruction, so let's bring them in. Mr. Mosty then says, and it's noted that we object to that limiting instruction that you just... The court then says, all right, thank you. The court then says, all right, let's go back on the record. All right, let the record reflect that all parties in the trial are present and the jury is seated. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, you are instructed to disregard the last answer by the witness, Mr. Davis. Mr. Greg Davis. Yes, sir. The court. All right. Mr. Greg Davis says, I'll pass the witness for cross-examination. The court then says, Mr. Mosty. And at this point, the cross-examination by Mr. Mosty begins and we will end this uh, particular hour-ish of uh, David Main's testimony and continue on with the cross-examination in the next episode in the Darley Routier trial. Okay, so I don't mean to laugh. I know this is a very serious uh, trial that's happening, but after the marijuana comments, I actually thought, gee, should I leave them on a cliffhanger and just leave it as that? But I thought, no, nope, that wouldn't be the right thing to do. So anyway, let's go over what we've learned uh, so far in here. Um, now Let's go way back uh, because they were talking about the uh, sock that was found. And um, Officer David Main said that there were holes in the sock when he first picked it up. Now, I'm going to go back and I'm going to check on some other testimony because I believe this contradicts somebody else's testimony, but I need to locate it. He also said that tennis shoes were found just inside the door of the Routier home that had blood on them, and they happened to be a pair of men's Reeboks. He further talks about the bloody footprints that he did not realize were there underneath the vacuum until he lifted the vacuum. And then he mentioned that they were leading away from the sink. And then when he moved the vacuum, he moved it next to the wine rack, said he didn't take any evidence out of the garage. He did take the screen off the window. He didn't actually remove the screen himself. Somebody else did that, but he took that into evidence and then said that the screen itself was cut in a T-shaped pattern. But then while he was looking at the screen, he noticed that the screen itself was folded inwards towards the garage. He did go upstairs, grab a comforter from one of the bunk beds of the children, which appeared to have blood on it. And then they, the prosecution then brings up in front of the jury all of these documents that were talked about in episode number 65, which the defense had objected to over and over and over, uh, but was denied. So he brings them up. He has Officer Main affirm that these documents were found in the residence, especially in the uh, family room slash den. And... The prosecutor goes over them one by one. And at which point, after he's gone through all of them, like, hey, you know, take a look at, you know, 77-CDEF, 76, that was the marriage license. And then there was the social security cards and then Darley's birth certificate and all of this stuff, which really doesn't seem to have hardly any, if any at all, bearing on the trial. He still brings them up and has Officer Main affirm that they were found in the residence and he goes over them one by one. And at which point after he's done all of this and used all of this time, the judge then tells the jury that all of these documents that he just spoke about were only found at the scene and that's the only reason they were mentioned, and it was for no other purpose other than this is where these documents were located. Now, at one point, he has Officer Maine get down off of the stand and then go over and point um, to a an image of the room um, and to where he found the papers, and then he, the prosecution, hands jury the jury copies of some documents which talk about Darley's insurance policy and Darren's insurance policy, along with these pages of a notebook, which were copied and and given to them. And essentially what these do is these lay out what Darren and Darley wanted to have happen in the event of their death. Um, It lays out who has custody of the children, who would sell their house, the trust funds for the kids, the money to care for the kids, and then the items that they own and who would get what? And when it comes to items that they own, the prosecution makes it a point to say, quote, and then we turn the page to where it says mink coat. Does everybody see the page with mink coat? No, obviously, obviously drawing attention to this mink coat. And I don't know what their purpose is, but to make the jurors feel less empathy for Darley because she might have more than they do. I I honestly don't know. So when they go through who gets what, there are some new names that pop up that we have not heard yet before. So let's go through who these people are. First of all, there is Cyrilda and Lenny Routier. These are Darren's mom and dad. The second is Darley Key. That is Darley's mom. Dion and Arenda Routier. Uh, one is Darren's brother. The other one is Darren's sister. Barbara Jovel is a friend of Darley's and the daughter of Helena, who did laundry and some cleaning at the Routier home. And then the last two are Dana and Danelle Stahl, who are related to Darley. So after they've gone through all of this, you know, who gets what and all of these different things, questioning resumes on Officer Main. And he's asked, if any other evidence was collected out there. And he, all he said, was, I'm sorry, I just can't believe this happened. All he said was some marijuana. So this caused a huge issue with the defense. I mean, obviously. And it was such an out-of-nowhere statement that not only did the prosecution get reprimanded for it, so did the officer who was testifying. But, you know, there's no way to put this the genie back in the bottle is there. The damage is already done. So according to the prosecutor and his outline that he had for this particular line of questioning, officer's Officer Main's response was supposed to be, no, nothing else. He said, the prosecutor said he wasn't expecting it either. So after some back and forth, the defense tells the judge they don't even want the judge to mention anything to the jury to even disregard it because they don't want it to come up again. But the judge refuses and instead just tells the jury once they come back in to just simply disregard what they last heard and just left it at that. So at this point, we are done with the direct questioning from the prosecution. And it is now time for the defense to come up and do the cross-examination. And we will start that in the next episode of the testimony of Officer David Main in the Darlie Routier trial. We will talk to you very, very soon. Thank you.